Coming to you live from nowhere, Michigan, performed in front of a studio audience of a couple misbehaving cats. This is Emo Town. Okay, so I I saw yesterday there was an article uh, from Piston Powered, who are awesome. There, there's only so many. Uh, there's only so many half-decent places to read about the Pistons just about every day. New stuff about the Pistons just about every day. Um, so I've always been really appreciative of all of them. Uh, there's there's three that come to mind instantly. There's Detroit Bad Boys. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, Piston Powered. And uh, then there's like James Edwards with The Athletic. And, and there's others too. I'm, I'm, and I kind of over the years have like dabbled with reading okay i haven't dabbled i've obsessively read just about all of them over the years especially at uh the peak times for the imagination for a fan of a bad team so getting close to the end of the year, getting close to draft time, getting close to free agency, getting close to the start of the year, uh, I, I did a lot, I always would do a lot of reading on those sites during those times. Um, so I, I'm about to talk about an article that they put out, and I don't want it to come off like I don't like them or I don't think that they do good work or anything like that because I... It, couldn't be further from the truth. I do like them, and, and I think that they do great work. Um, but the the article didn't really take a stand one way or the other on the issue that it would had kind of brought up, and uh, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to take a definitive stand on, on the question. And the question was whether or not Jeremy Grant is a true number one scoring option. Uh, and they kind of give a little bit of like a yes because he I think is the 22nd most leading scorer in the NBA this season and everybody according I think the article states that everybody that is ranked ahead of him is pretty clearly the number one scoring option on their team so it'd be silly to think that Jeremy Grant, who ranks right there among them and with them, wouldn't be a number one option just because of your uh, maybe preconceived notions about what type of player he was before he was given an opportunity to show what he can really do, which is what he's got here this season so far. But then it also goes to say, but no, but no, he's not because uh, he doesn't. He doesn't quite. He has, he has certain off nights, and he he doesn't quite uh, bring the consistency of a number one option. And then, oh, but he is still because the reason that he doesn't he isn't able to bring in the the consistency that you might expect out of a normal number one option night in night out is because the Pistons aren't very good, so everybody just gears up to stop Jeremy Grant, and it's actually a, a testament to the sort of player that he is, that he's able to do as well as he can when he's kind of the only thing you really need to gear up to stop night in and night out. 
Um, and then it goes on to say, oh, but no, but he's not because the true number one options have to deal with that at different point in times in their career. And they kind of, they, they do a little bit better job with their consistency uh, than, than Jeremy does. So it, it, and it doesn't take a stand. Like it, it tries to present both sides of the argument and then it doesn't tell you in the author's opinion to me anyway, whether Jeremy Grant truly is a number one option. Or it seems to, at the very least, side on... It comes down on the side of... If you're going to say it comes down on any particular stance at all, it kind of comes down on no, not quite. And... But I think it does so for reasons that are maybe a little bit incorrect and a little bit like too obvious at the same time. Uh, it basically just says that he's not because he doesn't really create for other people that much. And he needs more help than a number one option ought to need basically. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't really acknowledge the strides that Jeremy has made towards the end of the season in creating for other people. His assists per game have been going up pretty steadily throughout the year, just from a, without looking at the stats, just from the, the eye test tells me that he creates more for other people than he used to. Uh, maybe not throughout the year, as that started to tick up, has it always resulted in made baskets? That's part of being a Pistons fan. Uh, we thought at the beginning of the year, wow, Killian and Blake are going to, and Mason Plumley, they're just going to create a lot of open looks for their teammates, and we're going to watch a lot of missed shots. And, uh, and, and that's rung true, but Jeremy Grant has picked up where Derrick Rose no longer is and where... Blake Griffin no longer is as far as uh, ball handling and distribution and things like that. I tweeted right before Greg Kelser said it on television uh, during a game, I think it was last week, that, uh, that Jeremy's next step in his evolution as a player, uh, he's already gone from, uh, to use a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a certain age, I was eh, middle schoolish when when Pokemon first uh, became popular here, and uh, so it, you know, he's he he was a uh, what what would it be, a um, a Charmander, I think. I could have this wrong. He was a Charmander in Denver, and. Now he's a he's a Charmeleon. He's in that middle phase. And if he's going to become a Charizard, he might not. I think he will. If he's going to, the thing that he will have to do more consistently is create for other people. And then he dished out a couple of assists and Special K started talking about how, oh, that's the next that's the next thing for Jeremy Grant is, is finding ways to make other people better more often 
I think he's going to do it. I, I I think that he's he's shown over this time that that is part of his game that he's been kind of forced to work on. I don't know how much of a choice it has been. It seems like other teams have kind of forced him into having to figure out what type of playmaker he can be. If you throw two guys at him all the time, if you if you get your best defender on him every single night, he's going to have nights where he's going to shoot really poorly and put up 12 or 14 points or something like that. But on more and more of those nights, he's adding in four, five assists, three assists, which is something that like he was just wasn't doing at the beginning of the year. He was getting, you know, you guys were all watching. He was putting up, you know, a night would be 26 points, five rebounds, and maybe an assist. And that was awesome. Was, you know, that that's great. That's a good, he was a good player when he was doing that. I really think there's going to come a point in time where Jeremy might be a guy who only averages, maybe next year he's only getting you 20 points a game, 21 points a game, something like that. But he's also grabbing you five rebounds or six rebounds. I feel like he also needs to put a little bit of, I don't want to say effort. That makes it sound like he's not trying, and I don't think that. He needs to put, he needs to dedicate some of his time this summer to into figuring out some some angles just I think that's all it's going to take is just maybe a little bit extra attention to boxing out and study those angles that oh our defense gives up a lot of you know shots from three point shots from the wing so I'm going to watch some tape and I'm going to study how the ball comes off on those shots. And then we're going to get down on the floor. And I'm going to have you know a teammate or a trainer miss a bunch of shots. A realistic miss. But I think that's what it's going to take. He's got to put a little bit of effort in on rebounding. And he's got to get a little bit more comfortable getting his head up a little bit earlier. And maybe delaying his decision to score. And seeing, going fishing a little bit. Seeing how, how many defenders he can draw, who he can maybe kick to. It, it's getting better and better. And and I think that you're going to find that Jeremy Grant might be a little bit of an unconventional number one option. Best player, number one player in the NBA uh, for a, a team. But that with the way it looks like our team might end up being constructed, a guy who scores between 18 and 22 points, grabs you five or six boards and gives you four assists, that might be your number one option. Because we might have a lot of second options on this team. That's that's kind of what it's it seems like it's going to look like. And hopefully, hopefully, by Jeremy's third season on this contract, he'll be the number two guy. Or it'll be a 1A, 1B situation with him and whoever the Pistons get in the draft this season, this coming this coming draft. I don't like to speculate too much, but 
if the Pistons were able to grab a guy like Jalen Green or Evan Mobley, you could see easily them playing second fiddle to Jeremy Grant next season and that being beneficial for both parties and the team. And then that role starting to become more neck and neck, more equal, or possibly even flip-flopping by year three, the last year of Jeremy's current contract, at which point, hopefully, the Pistons can sign him to another uh, a contract he deserves but is also a bit team-friendly for giving him this chance over these three years, for giving him those dollars that nobody else was going. Well, I guess Denver was going to give them to him too, and we can't forget that. But uh, for giving him the kind of money that a lot of the league didn't think that he was worth to anybody but a team trying to retain and use bird rights and stuff like that. Sometimes you can get an overpay in those situations. Uh, so like a lot of the league was like, well, as a, as a plain free agent, as, as money that you can't go over the cap to sign on a team that maybe he isn't the, the missing fourth piece on or whatever, he's not worth this money. We're going to find out fast. He's not worth this money. We found out fast he was worth the money. We found out fast that he could play this different uh, part than what he had been cast in throughout the rest of his career. So, like, maybe we can get a little bit of a a little bit of a discount on what he might not a big one, but a little bit of a discount on what he might be worth in the open market at the end of his current contract, and kind of have him shift into a second fiddle or like I said 1A 1B kind of role with again hopefully it's either Mobley or Green or or uh Cunningham that would be that'd be great uh, if the Pistons are going to be good and if Jeremy is going to be on that next Pistons team that might do something, that might really do something, I think he will. Again, I think he will. I think that's the way it's gonna it, it's gonna happen. Is you're gonna have Jeremy as the veteran leader, defensive quarterback slash one B offensive option to whoever they end up being able to get this year. And so is Jeremy Grant a true number one option? Yes. Yes, I think he is right now. I think he most certainly will be next season, even if I think that it might look a little bit unconventional compared to how some other guys go about being that number one option because of how strong of – a, a group of option B's that the Pistons, I think, will have. They'll have the guy they draft this year, whoever it is. Uh, I think that you're going to see that Beef Stew... Beef Stew! ...is a a legitimate second option. I don't, I don't think we're giving his offense nearly enough credit 
I think if you go on 2K or something and you make you go into like your Montrezl Harrell, go and make Trez a legitimate three-point shooter and uh, a better rebounder, a little bit faster and a bit more fleet of foot. And I think, and, and, and just look at what a menace he is in the game after doing that. And I think that you get an idea of what, like, Beef Stew's ceiling really could be. I think he's got the kind of motor and the kind of feel in the post that he will be a legitimate post scorer for the modern NBA. You know, I'm not trying to act like, you know, the dude's going to revolutionize the center slash forward, you know, power forward position or whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to act like it's like that. I just think that for the modern game, he's going to have an above average to really good post game. I think he's going to have for his position a really good jump shot. I think he's going to have an above average ability to create from the high post. I think he's going to be a beast. He's already kind of a beast, but I think he's going to be like a problem, a real problem. And that's whether I think in the future, whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench, depending on who they draft and what the situation is with, with different positions and different roles and how they need to be filled. Isaiah Stewart could be just as valuable coming off the bench playing either front court position as he is as a starter if you end up drafting Evan Mobley. Or, you know, starter at first and then Mobley off the bench for a little while. I don't know how they would do it exactly. I'm just saying that drafting a potential future superstar in the front court is not an indictment of Isaiah Stewart. I think he is a legitimate second option on a good team at his ceiling. And I think that it would be an embarrassment of riches to have him coming off the bench playing 30 minutes at whatever forward or center you needed him at. So, uh, you know, that's the... That's the recipe going forward for this Pistons team. And for Jeremy, for Jeremy to be a number one option, I, I don't think it. the Pistons will ever be built for their number one guy to be some kind of 30 points a game scorer. Not as presently constructed and with any kind of uh, forecastable move. We can talk about who they might draft. We can talk about things like that and with a certain amount of certainty that it's going to be one of a handful of guys. And we can imagine what they might look like with these guys. And and Troy might make one of a million trades that I'm not going to try to speculate on or anything like that. I'm just going to try to think about what the current group looks like. It's going to look something like this next season, most likely. I'm I'm not crazy. I think Troy's going to make moves, but it's going to look something like what it looks like now. We're going to have some of the guys we have now, and and just looking at that, I, I it just seems like 
whoever the number one scorer is, is going to be surrounded with enough offensive help that he's probably, if he's a good option for this team, not going to be a guy who scores 30 points a game or something like that. Probably won't happen. Just because there's already, there's value around whoever we add. I don't see a future where Sadiq Bey isn't putting up at least 15 points a game. And only so many shots to go around. So, if 27 points a game or whatever is the the benchmark we need to hit to say that Jeremy Grant's a true number one option, then he's never going to hit that, I don't think. Not on this team. But uh, I think I, I think there's a whole lot more to being the number one option than just how many points you put up. It, it's what you do in the context of the team you're on. And, and I think that Jeremy is a number one option and will be on this team. Okay, so one last thing that I feel like I'm kind of being forced to talk about because he's he's proved me so wrong. Uh, about a month ago, I think, on the podcast, I said that we were basically seeing that the truth about Frank Jackson was that he was a, a really good offensive shooting guard, a, a very good offensive, uh, not primary ball handler, can, but but still can score with the ball in his hands. And uh, and jump shooter, above average jump shooter is what I thought at the time. And that he was just going to get cooked so badly on defense every time he was out there that there was just almost no way for him to be a net positive player on this team. And, and I didn't think that Frank Jackson would be a piston next year <laughs> basically i mean that's that's basically what i said i think we were playing portland i'm not positive and he was just getting just getting cooked it was either portland or maybe it was toronto that we were playing and it was a good game uh, it was a close game and i felt like where we lost the game was frank's inability to stay in front of whoever he was out there against. Uh, so, I, now at this point, a month later, and so much of the, what I thought was probably going to translate, because the guy was like a 30% three-point shooter coming into the season, I think, for his career. And this season was shooting quite a bit better than that. So I figured his his real life sh like three-point shooting percentage was was likely somewhere in between those two numbers. That's 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 just what I thought. I, I that was my expectation is that uh you know he's hot at the moment or he's done well in spot duty but over the course of a long season where he got regular looks his three-point percentage would come down to something closer to what it had been, but but better than what it had been. That that's that was basically my expectation. Now, like I said, now it's a month later, 
And it seems like the flirting with 40% three-point shooting is real. That doesn't seem like that's going away anytime soon. Uh, He's shown... He was always slippery down near the down near the hoop, you know, and 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 showed off a from his time at at Duke all the way through his uh, his game in the bubble last year where he had like thirty eight points. He's always shown that he can finish around the rim, kind of over his back in these uh, reversal type situations. That I think a lot of people. It's easy to miss how much better he is at that than even the average decent NBA finisher. You know, it's it's a small thing. It's a doesn't come into play every time down the floor. So it's easy to miss, but that was something I feel like he could really throw it behind his head and make it kind of dance off the glass and just talented. Talented. Straight up talented, difficult to stay in front of, uh, but undersized and and maybe not really a a point guard, you know. And but the shooting, the shooting is something, and the athleticism that he has shown just in the last week, that might just me just be that I'm ignorant and I don't. I didn't know he could get up quite like that. He missed the dunk. He he caught a lob and dunked on like an alley-oop, and that was cool and all. But he, in the same game, just uh, two games before when I'm talking now, I believe it was against Atlanta. But they maybe start to run together a little bit. He tried an angry dunk. Same game that he had caught a lob for uh, caught a lob for a dunk, and he threw it off the back iron, and it didn't go down. But it was just you could tell it was a statement. Yeah, I can shoot the three. Yeah, I can finish with finesse, and you know what? I can really just jump over people too. And that he's every bit the, you mean, Saban Lee caught a body a couple of weeks ago, finally. And it just seemed like Frank Jackson wanted to show that he could do the same thing. And his, his defensive effort. Okay. So Frank Jackson is never, ever going to be a great defensive player or a defensive player presence but if you've listened to the podcast you've listened to the way that I talk about how Sfima Luke wasn't a great one-on-one defender either but had a nose for where the ball was and where it might be going and had the guts to try to make a play so that's kind of similar to what I see with Frank Jackson. It isn't quite the uh, the gambler gaminess that that I saw with Spee, but it's a constant sense of pride, I feel like, on that side of the ball. And I, and I feel like it's because he knows that that side of the ball, improvements there really will be his ticket into 
a full-time spot in the league. Whether it's with the Detroit Pistons, which now I certainly hope that it will be. Or another team. That's that's his uh that's his ticket. If he if he wants that guaranteed ticket into the league for good, the way he's going to get it is by becoming an effort defender. So much of what goes into playing defense is simply about pride and effort. And you can be not a guy who's a stopper, but you can be a guy who is a pain in the ass to the guy that you're across from just by being a guy whose whose pride doesn't allow him to quit on a play or whose pride doesn't allow him to buy into a mentality that a bucket or any particular result or outcome is inevitable and that there's nothing he can do about it. So that's what I see with Frank Jackson on the defensive end. I see somebody who understands that he's got to make plays on that side of the ball and that he's got to be in the play on that side of the ball all the time. And somebody who understands that they—he's gonna be—he's gonna be on the negative side of those defensive outcomes, probably more often than he would like to be. But you can give up a bucket and still keep making things difficult for a guy, and eventually wear him down. To where he he maybe misses a couple of shots he might have made if you weren't annoying. If you weren't a pain in the ass. And so that's what I see with Frank Jackson. So now, yes, I, I do think that he will be a bit of a liability on defense. But with the way the Pistons have been trending towards grabbing up players that are between... Six foot five and six foot eight, who are also ball handlers. Uh, it's easy to imagine Frank Jackson on the floor with Killian Hayes, and Killian's guarding a shooting guard, and Frank Jackson is guarding a point guard to make to kind of mitigate some of the the size problems that he's likely to have at times. And the NBA is trending towards point guards that aren't six foot one or whatever anymore but they're they're out there and certainly there are a lot of point guards closer to Frank Jackson's height than than shooting guards uh so I I think that'll happen a lot when Frank's on the floor with Killian and it's completely speculative speculative and it it it, it kind of relies on the Pistons getting a little bit of luck and having to and actually getting that number one pick but Cade Cunningham, same thing. If Cade Cunningham was on the team and he was on the floor at the same time as Frank Jackson for a run, Frank could guard the shorter guard. So, I think you can hide Frank if he's going to play defense the way he's been playing it. I think you can hide him. I think you can hide him. And I think if he's going to be the 
instant offense off the bench the way he has been and shoot the way he has. And the team needs shooters. When when you have guys like Josh Jackson, who's certainly improving as a shooter, and even though I don't know that his percentages are drastically better than, than what we might have expected them to be, as the year has gone on, just as a, a constant observer of the team, I expect his his three-pointers to drop a whole lot more than I used to. So I think that that is a sign of improvement right there, just that as a cut, like I said, as a constant observer, I'm starting to expect them to drop a lot more often. But we have a lot of guys like that. We have we have we, we got Hammy. I think we're likely to hold on to both of those guys into next season. I don't know how much beyond that or beyond next season's trade deadline or whatnot, but I expect them to be around. And we're going to need, we got Saban Lee, who I also hope will be around. We're going to need Frank, if Frank really can shoot like that. And even if he regresses a bit more towards uh, an NBA average three-point shooter, I think that there's still a place for him on the team. An NBA average three-point shooter is still... I think a better percentage than than what he's shot for for guys who actually take the shot. Maybe it isn't if you factor in guys who shouldn't be shooting it, but an average competent three-point shooter in the NBA, I expect to hit maybe around 37%, something like that. And I think even if Frank regresses to the 36-37% mark, I think there's still a place for him on the team. I think that's a good enough shooter with everything else that he brings. Like I said, the the problem will be on defense. And it's going to be his responsibility to mitigate that in every way that is in his control. Effort. Pride. And I think he's doing that. And I think that everything I said about him the last time I talked about him was just completely wrong. All right. Hey, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. And if that wasn't emo enough for you next episode, we're going to get all kinds of emotional about who stays and who goes from this team that we've all gotten so attached to over the course of this season. See you soon.